Sound. It is fundamental to the world. Babies crying. Music. Laughter. These sounds and thousands more impact us both intellectually and emotionally. Sound also has a hidden power. Healing. Today, leading integrative neurologist, Ayurvedic expert, and author, Dr. Colreed Chaudhary will be joining us. She is the author of Sound Medicine, How to Use the Ancient Science of Sound to Heal the Body and Mind. We will be discussing how sound impacts the human body and brain. We'll explore the physiological effects of sound vibration from altering mood to healing disease. Also, she'll share how mantra meditation and other sound medicine practices can have a profound effect on both your mental and physical health. Welcome to Be Healthistic, the podcast that is more than just health and wellness information. It's here to help you explore your options across traditional and natural medicine so that you can make informed decisions for you and your family. This podcast illuminates the whole story about holistic health by providing access to the expertise of Drs. Steve and Drew Sinatra, who together have decades of integrative health experience. Be Healthistic is powered by our friends at Healthy Directions. Now, let's join our hosts. Hi, folks. If you like what you hear today and you want to listen to future conversations on all things integrative and holistic health, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Also, check out and subscribe to our YouTube channel, which will feature video versions of our episodes, plus video extras you won't want to miss. And finally, we have more with me, Dr. Drew Sinatra, my dad, Dr. Steve Sinatra, and other Healthy Directions experts over on the Healthy Directions site. So visit HealthyDirections.com to explore our database of well-researched content and information. And of course, you can always follow us on our social media channels. Welcome, everyone. This is Dr. Drew Sinatra. And today we have a very special guest on our show today. She is Dr. Colrie Chaudhary. And she's a neurologist. She's an Ayurvedic practitioner. And she's an author of a new book called Sound Medicine, How to Use the Ancient Science of Sound to Heal the Body and Mind. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. So I had the good fortune of reading your book this past week. I finished it last night, in fact. Oh, you really do your homework. <laughs> I did my homework, and it was an excellent book. I was really impressed. And, you know, for our listeners to begin with, why don't you share a little bit about your experience um, when you were nine years old and, and that what brought you into sound medicine? I would love to. So I had the great fortune of having uh, an extremely progressive mother who um, had brought both my sister and I into a meditation practice at a very young age. Um, and she had gotten into it because she had developed a thyroid condition. And her physician just said, hey, I think this is stress-induced and uh, meditation would help. And her thyroid condition was reversed in six months. And so she immediately figured that if this was good for her, what could this do for her children? And so we were introduced to a mantra meditation practice, which just simply means that you're given um, a sound with no meaning and uh, you repeat that sound silently in your mind, and it has 
profound impacts on your nervous system and on your body as a whole, as we now know from all the studies in mantra meditation. Um, but because of this, I, I developed a really different uh, and un unique lifelong relationship with sound because sound was no longer something that I just used, you know, for communication, but sound also had this silent property that um, helped you to still your mind. And so sound to me was a was was a, was a tool for my own inner potential. It was a tool for reducing stress. It was a tool that had an impact on my body. Um, so from a very, very, very young age, I looked at sound as um, something that you could do on purpose to affect your life. And then once I became a neurologist, because mantra meditation was such a huge part of my life, it immediately started to become a part of my life as a practitioner. So my entire relationship with, with sound was not casual. And I think most of us have a very casual relationship with sound, meaning we, we just use it to talk to people, we use it for entertainment, but we don't do it in a purposeful way for our own personal use for transformation. You know, in, in reading your book, it was funny. I had all these experiences come up for me where sound was so important at some aspects of my life. For example, we attended a sound bath last week, my wife and I. Oh, you did? We did. Yeah. And it's, I'm telling you, all these synchronicities are happening around sound. And I want to thank you for that, actually, because you're, you're part of that. Um, <laughs> but we, we attended this sound bath and I was, I was transported to just a different realm during that sound bath. There's an hour and a half and I felt like I was floating, but yet wasn't really floating. I was just sort of in another dimension, listening to these sounds that this practitioner was was playing. And I was reminded that when I was married in 2008, my wife and I had a, a chakra singing bowl. We had one of those crystal singing bowls at our yes. ceremony. And so that brought up all these memories during the sound healing. And then <laughs> and then I was reminded again of when we traveled to Nepal in 2009, we had we brought back all these singing bowls from Nepal. And so oh. I hadn't brought them out in the last six or seven years because they just they were just sitting in the basement. So we brought them out this week <laughs> and we started playing them to my my two boys. Oh, that's you guys sound like a fantastic couple, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're trying. We're trying. I mean, um, what a great way to celebrate your wedding. What a unique way of celebrating your wedding to have singing bowls. And, you know, when you think about just the way that, you know, the, the way that we interpret sounds like who if you go to a movie, imagine taking out the soundtrack of a movie, what your experience would be. So we're always having an experience with sound, but usually somebody else is provoking that experience. It's not an experience that we ourselves are in control of. Exactly. Well, do you mind if I read your definition of a mantra from your book? Can I read that? No, please. I, I definitely didn't write the book for it to be private. <laughs> well, okay. So I just, I love this definition of mantra because it really, it, it, it brings light to many different things. So here we go. Mantra in the literal Sanskrit translation means through the mind, a definition that illuminates this ancient practice and its significant power in two ways. First, it reminds us that it is not possible to quiet the mind without extreme focus. Through channeling mantras, as the Vedic sages and Sita masters discovered, a person is able to stop the mind from leaping in many different directions at once and begin to find a profound inner stillness. And I just love that because it's like, you know, we all think of meditation as bringing that inner stillness. But for me, I've never really had a mantra, per se, to help provide that inner stillness. 
and you know we we forget sometimes that um, I mean, a mantra is literally, it's, it's, it's just, it's a sound and it's a sound of nature. Um, but nature itself is the, uh, profound source of all mantras. And so our connection just to nature, like listening to the waves crashing on a beach, that that's ultimately the connection that we're, we're, we're trying to create even through mantra meditation. It's just simply connecting to nature. And I got to tell you, from my experience on that sound bath ceremony last week, I felt like nature was talking to me because there's times where she had she had some sort of a water shaker or obviously Uh the water element was speaking to me. Then there was some sort of flapping device she had that sounded like a bird on top of my body. Uh (laughs) You know, so like wind was involved. And then there was an earth element with like rumbling and shaking. And so. Yeah, I, it's so funny. I, I literally thought that nature was speaking to me through these sounds. Nature is speaking to us through sound. I mean, nature really is sound. And when we look at, you know, what the quantum physicists are, you know, what, what they've discovered, and it seems kind of unpoetic and uh, unromantic when they describe it from their standpoint. But, you know, the universe is literally vibrating. And when those vibrations become audible... You know, we 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 interpret that as a sound, but there's all of these vibrations that are also inaudible, but they are really still sound. It's just that our human apparatus, um, which we call the ear, can't hear all of the vibrations. But literally, the, the universe is singing to us. Yeah, the problem is though, sometimes people can't hear that. They they aren't able to identify that calling or singing because no, we don't take the time to still ourselves. We don't take the time you know, to stop. And instead of being bombarded um, by unwanted sounds, you know, like the phone ringing or, you know, sitting in traffic or just talking, instead of being bombarded by the sounds that we know on a daily basis, we don't stop and become silent and uh, tap into all of these other sounds that, you really do experience when you are still, just like you described, you know, through that sound bath. So what, I guess one question I had reading your book was, as, as a practitioner here in the States, and you practiced here in the States for most of your career, and now yes. you've been living in India the last two years. Right. Um, what's it been like for you recommending mantras and sound med- medicine to folks in India versus folks here in America? Oh, that's a great question. I really like your question um, because I think the answer is surprising, or at least it was very surprising to me. So, you know, when I was in the U.S., And as a neurologist, I guess it was somehow easy to talk about the effect of mantra meditation on the brain, since that was my specialty. But what I found was people were actually much more open to the concept that um, mantras could have a profound impact on their health. And the challenge, actually, in, in India is that so many people have grown up with this, and they have... You, you know, when when it's like a fish in water, when you're surrounded by it, you no longer think that it has a profound impact. And so even at the center that we have, um, we have people who come from all over the world and we actually start every morning of treatments with a sound bath. And so that's it. just, it's just part of our, our program. And we use, you know, different types of sounds. But we also use sounds of very ancient Tamil uh, mantras. And um, so people from all over the world come and they have these profound experiences, but our local patients, 
it's harder to convince them to incorporate mantra into their everyday life. They look at mantra as something that, you know, you go to the temples and the priest is chanting. And so they look at it as a, it's an exclusively religious experience mm-hmm. rather than looking at it as a human experience. And so in some cases, and I, you know, I was just teasing my staff before I come that I'm going all the way, you know, to America and then I'm going to London and Australia and China to talk to people about uh, mantra and sound. And all of you have grown up with it. And, uh, you know, it took so much effort just to get our staff to start, you know, using mantra meditation on a daily basis. And and I guess like so many countries, you know, India is looking to the West Mm -hmm. for direction of what's the next step, what's the future, what's the next technology. And, you know, the next technology actually has to do with a lot of ancient technology, such as the use of sound. Well, it's funny because in the West here, we're sort of looking to the East for some solutions. <laughs> and it's it's right there at their fingertips. And it's just, and of course, you know, in defense of India, it has to do with, you know, their own history of being invaded. And especially with the British invasion, that there's been so many outside influences. And so being taught that to be progressive means to take on the standards of other countries. And so one of the things that we're really trying to do there is um, to re-enliven the local culture and to also show the science behind it, that these 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 traditional practices are not backward practices. They're actually extremely forward practices. And that just takes a lot of education on your part then. It does. And it does help that, you know, that I, I've got an American accent and that I've got, you know, an American degree. And so the fact that, you know, even though I'm I have an Indian background. The fact that I've got all of this, you know, American um, validation behind my um, behind my name and behind my profession, they take me more seriously in India because I was trained in America. <laughs> no, I can see that. I can see that. So I guess in your practice right now, then when a patient comes to you, because you have an integrative practice in India, correct? Yeah, so we actually have a center that we were asked to be a part of as a as a international project for really looking into some of these very very ancient records that no no American physician has ever been allowed or no Western physician has ever been allowed to interact with on such an intimate level, and so as part of that, this center was built to start bringing out what we're finding from these records, and so a big part of what we do at the center is incorporate sound as one of the many modalities that we use for. Treating um, chronic conditions. Okay, and you're just using a lot of therapies that you learned here in the states, and obviously bringing that back with you. Yes. Um, so many of the therapies that you know I learned in the state, but also many of the therapies that we're uncovering there, you know, kind of through this medical archaeological project. And you know, it's it's so it's so wonderful to be in a in a place though where we can, you know, create everything from scratch. And so every morning we start, as I said, you know, with a with a sound bath, and people lie down, and um, our practitioners, our sound experts, are um, chanting the the mantras. And what's really beautiful about it is you see how the human voice itself is so musical um, and how the human voice can, you know, just as you were talking about the different sounds of nature, that the human voice is a part of nature's sound, you know, and you can create profound experiences um, just simply through the use of the human voice. So we use it that way, but we also will teach um, patients that are there different mantras to use. And we also incorporate it in different ways, um, such as, you know, 
many of the herbs that are being prepared from the so the text, they're they're actually in their preparation, sound is used as a part of their preparation. Mantras are used as a part of their preparation. I didn't even know that. That's that's amazing. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Wow. I didn't know the different ways that it could be used, but even to the point where the seeds are planted, um, they're exposed to certain sounds, and uh, then when they're prepared, they're exposed to certain sounds, and those sounds are said to enliven the properties of the herbs themselves. So it's, it's a really fascinating dive into sound medicine in a way that um, I just didn't realize how rich the tradition was. And every patient that you work with, though, you you do give a mantra to, is that right? Every patient that comes through is exposed to kind of the, the different mantras that we offer at the center. And again, depending on, you know, the, the, the needs, we have certain mantras that are just basic mantras for overall health. You know, like the one I mentioned in the book, the chakra mantra mm-hmm. is a general mantra that we give to everybody. And these are just different sounds, um, bija mantras, which are seed mantras, which are uh, unisyllabic sounds that have no meaning. And so we will teach that. And then, you know, depending on the need, like currently with the uh, coronavirus outbreak, we brought out then this ancient mantra for specifically using to help prevent the spread of um, viral infections. So depending on what the needs are, we will bring out specific mantras. Well, with what's happening right now with this coronavirus, would you mind sharing a little bit about that coronavirus or at least anti-pathogenic viral mantra? Yes, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, and so, you know, the the way that these ancient traditions use mantras was for many, many different aspects of life. As I already mentioned, they used it for um, agriculture. Um, they would use it to deal with natural disasters and the weather. And there were mantras specifically for any kind of um, um, situation that affected you know, the community at large, such as um, viral pandemics. And so the mantra that uh, we give, and we started this only recently when um, the coronavirus um, started to impact our patient population, because we have many patients coming from um, China. And uh, so we first sent out this mantra to our patients that were from China, um, just saying, hey, listen, you know, we're we're just so sorry about everything that's happening there. Here's a mantra you can use. And they were like, wait a minute, why aren't we just using this? Like, why don't we just use this while this is happening? Um, and it's a very short mantra. Would you mind if I just uh, chant it? Yes, please. Okay. So the mantra is Om Cream Mahakali Sarvarogam Nasi Nasi. So I'll go ahead and uh, chant it the way that we do in the center. Mm-hmm. Um, Om Cream Mahakali Sarvarogam Nasi Nasi. Om Cream Mahakali Sarvarogam Nasi Nasi. Om Krim Mahakali Sarvarogam Nasi Nasi. So what we do at the center is um, we just chant those sounds together as a group, 15 minutes in the morning and uh, 15 minutes um, in the evening. And it's just our way of, you know, adding one of many different approaches to reducing somebody's risk of infection. You know, in addition to that, we're also teaching them how to improve um, their immunity through their digestion, um, how to reduce their stress. So it's not that, you know, we say, hey, do this mantra, but don't take any other precautions and, you know, 
uh, don't wash your hands and, you know, let people sneeze in your mouth. Um, but, you know, in addition to everything else that you can do, you can also use sound as part of your health regimen for helping to prevent the spread of infections. Well, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. That was very special. When you do recommend a mantra, is it typically one that you're working on at a time or could you combine many at once? So typically what we recommend is for um, somebody to have one practice that they're doing on a regular basis. And the, and the reason for that is that you're trying to create a resonance with sound. So there's actually a process of um, brain entrainment that happens when you're using a sound on a regular basis, which essentially means that your your brain starts vibrating at a specific frequency in response to sound. So just like any habit, when you're doing it over and over and over, you actually start to you know create particular biochemical and neurochemical po- patterns in response to that habit. So we typically recommend like one mantra on a regular basis, but then if something unique is happening, um, you know, such as um, Um, you know, the spread of a viral infection or, um, you know, anything else uniquely happening in your life, you can choose then a particular mantra that would, that has a resonance frequency for that particular issue. And then when that issue is no longer a problem, you know, then um, go back to just the use of your single mantra. So does that make sense? That That makes sense. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. I kind of look at it as, you know, when you're dressing, you always have certain article clothings, you know, underneath that you're always wearing, but then, you know, on the outside, you can change, you know, your outfit depending on your needs of the day. And so mantras practice are kind of like that. You have certain basic articles that you are using on a regular basis, but then there's other aspects that you can change depending on your needs. There's like a foundation mantra and you can just, you can build on that if needed. Absolutely. Yeah. And like for me, it was the mantra that I learned, you know, when I was nine years old, that's something that Um, because I'd been doing it for so long, um, you know, for people who are new to meditation, one of the initial complaints is, um, well, I I start and my mind is wandering, but I have been doing that mantra for such a long time that as soon Mm -hmm. as I close my eyes and that mantra goes, I'm just, you know, my mind is immediately settled because it's created a resonance frequency. It's created a neurological pattern now that when I hear that sound, my mind and body just simply relaxes. You know, there's another piece in your book I wanted to I wanted to read to everyone here. It's very quick because it's relating to what we're talking about. You were mentioning how in college, um, you know, your friends are going out and partying and such. And, yes. and, and you say this, you said meditation had become a rote and essential to me as taking a shower. If I skipped it for a few days, I began to feel as if my brain were coated in a layer of grime, yes. just as my body would feel as if I hadn't bathed. So I'm sure you feel that way today where you don't do your mantra, Absolutely. you don't meditate. It's like you've, you've just, it's like medicine for you. It's like you're, well, not medicine. I don't like to call it medicine per se, but it's a form of, it's a form well, of it's, it's sound medicine. It is. Yeah. It's, it's a form of mental cleanliness. And I used to always have people, you know, especially in college when you're doing so many other things, um, you know, than trying to be quiet and they'd say, you know, how do you stay so disciplined? And I said, well, how do you stay so disciplined in brushing your teeth every day? Um, You know, that it's not a discipline when you notice the negative uh, impacts of of skipping the behavior. Um, And I was always amazed, you know, that on on the days where I did skip my meditation, how much white noise there is in our mind. And uh, so for me, it was just, I I felt the difference when I, I didn't meditate. And that is still as true today as it was, you know, when I was in, in college and when I was in high school, when I was, you know, in elementary school. So it's just, it, 
it's just like any other great habit, like people who um, exercise regularly, they're, they're the same way, no matter where they go. They're like, no, I have to exercise. I don't feel the same way when I'm not exercising. Yeah. So the key then is how do we get people to experience this and make it a part of their life? That's that's what I'm wondering in like a practice like myself. <laughs> well, for, so that's one of the reasons why um, I wrote the last uh, chapter. Um, initially, I was writing a book that was mostly on the, the theory and the history of sound medicine as a whole. And I chose to focus on on mantra meditation, although, you know, singing bowls and other forms of sounds are, um, you know, just as valid. But I focused on mantra meditation um, because of my own experiences with it. But the last chapter is all on, um, you know, on a how to, how do you do this? And my recommendation is, first of all, just be very, very, very realistic. You know, if, if 30 minutes a day or 20 minutes a day is not realistic, just start where you are, start somewhere. And then I, I give many different options, you know, for a mantra practice. And you've got to choose something that, and not to be use it as a, as a pun, but it's literally something that you resonate with. Mm-hmm. Something that when you do, you just go, oh, this just feels good. This really feels like something that's a, a part of myself. But you could just start with, you know, five, even five minutes a day. And just like any habit, when you start to realize the benefits of it, you'll do it, you know, more often. And what about having a teacher in your life? I know for you, this this person, Ama, was present for you and is still present for you in your yes. life right now. A lot of us here don't have teachers. What what, yes. what do you suggest around that? Well, I think for, you know, for, for beginning a mantra meditation, of course, there's, you know, one of two routes. And you're absolutely right. Not everybody has access, you know, to teachers that, you know, are deeply, deeply knowledgeable about this practice. But the beauty of a mantra practice is that it's a very, very simple practice. Like nobody has to teach you how to hear, mm-hmm. um, you know, nobody has to teach you how to speak. And so the teacher part of it is really going deeper into the understanding of it so that you understand the profoundness of the practice. And what I'm hoping to do, you know, in the book is not to substitute the beautiful relationship that you can have with the teacher, but to at least offer some of the scientific and, um, you know, cultural and historical aspects of the use of, of mantra. Um, so by no means, you know, do you have to wait to have a teacher in front of you to start a mantra practice because we're really, we're, we're designed and we're made to respond to sound. This is actually part of our biology. And so you can, you can start it because we're wired for it. And I guess for me, it sounds odd for me to even speak this out loud, but I, I think my, one of my teachers or many teachers have been some like Diva Pramal or, um, oh, yes, yes. I've seen, I've seen her three times in concert with, um, I never, I never pronounced his last name correctly. Is it my 10? Uh, you know, if, if you're pronouncing it correctly, then I've always pronounced it incorrectly. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I, what do, how do you pronounce it? <laughs> I've said mitten, but I mitten. They, they could just have been very polite and not corrected me. <laughs> I trust I trust you more than, than my pronunciation. So we'll go with mitten. So I've seen them three times and I've seen Krishna Das three times as well. Okay. And for me, those have been my primary teachers in a way because I have all their CDs and I listen to them at home and I allow my children to listen to them. And they've been, I guess, for, yeah, in terms of a mantra, they've been really the only mantras that I've been singing in my daily life because I listen to them in my car on my way to work. And it's, yeah, but I'm so happy that they're out there singing Kirtan and bringing that to the people because I, I do feel like we're lacking 
teachers, uh, spiritual teachers in, in our communities. And, um, I, yeah, they've been mine in a sense. <laughs> but they're beautiful teachers and they're actually the types of teachers that you would see traditionally, you know, in these ancient cultures, because they, mm-hmm. they are, you know, and I re- refer to, uh, Deva and Mitten in the book as the modern day examples of the bhakti yogis and, and bhakti yoga are just, it's it's um, union within with yourself with the deepest aspects of yourself through a devotional practice through something that opens your heart and that's what mantra practices are and so you know Deva and Mitten and uh, Krishnas they're examples of modern day Nada yogis yogis um, or people who connect you know through the use of sound and so they're they're ideal teachers because they're actually living. Um, their practices. So, and, and I think that's how entertainment though should be, you know, we should be entertained or, or drawn to people that have something to teach us about ourselves. So I think they're an, an ideal example. Oh, I love that. Okay. That makes me feel much better because they, they, <laughs> they truly have been my teachers. <laughs> but they're such wonderful people. I mean, they're such beautiful, beautiful people. I mean, look at how they are expressing, um, their power in life to transform other people. I mean, they're, they're living what they are teaching. And isn't that the type of teachers you would want somebody who's not going up there and just writing something, you know, on a blackboard, but, um, they've actually dedicated their, their whole life. And I really have so much more appreciation for them now as, you know, as I'm coming back to the U S and just seeing what the needs are that, you know, they have been able to connect with these large audiences in so many different countries in such a basic human way. And their teaching is really through their expression of love for humanity through through sound. So, I mean, who, what else are you looking for? <laughs> I, I know. I know. Right. Well, you think of like having a, a teacher like yourself. I mean, I was reading your book and saying to myself, like, you, you're so lucky to have that presence in your life. And, and even, you know, as a culture, too, with with elders here, it's very hard yes. to find elders that are willing to teach you the old ways. That is such a profound point that you're making. And, and you're right in these, you know, ancient cultures, um, such as in India or you know, like Nepal, where you went to, you do have these uh, influences in your life, um, either through your elders, you know, or, or through different types of teachers, where they are offering you wisdom that you lack. And, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a huge, huge, huge um, tool in, in your life for human potential. But you know, one of the goals through the books and, uh, you know, I've been asked to write about so many of the things that um, we're learning through this process in India, um, in in the records and so forth that we're, we're studying. And one of the things I've been asked to do is, you know, write about this so that people in the West have access to it. It's 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 really it's a project inspired um, out of compassion for humanity, and I have you know this great privileged role of everything that I'm learning from my teachers there. I'm I'm you know I'm sharing I'm sharing with whoever is interested. <laughs> yeah, and I mean a lot of people are interested, and I love the fact that you've you've been doing this your whole life, so you have tons of experience, and you're 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 practicing medicine right now in India, sharing all this experience that you've learned. So that's. That's incredible in and of itself. I wanted to ask you about if you could share more your experience of surrender. You talk about surrender (laughs) in your book. And I think that's just something that is so hard for us to to grasp is to surrender more. So please speak to that. 
Oh, uh, this is a, you know, I'm, I'm really appreciating the questions that you're, you're asking. You're asking very profound uh, questions. Um, and I, I appreciate your thoughtfulness. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thanks. Um, I think, you know, what's interesting is, um, you know, cause I was, uh, raised in, in California, uh, raised in America. And of course my background is Indian. And so I have this dual, um, upbringing. And I think the idea of surrender, the way that we look at it in America is, um, you know, like I'm not giving up my freedoms or I'm not giving up my rights or, or my will, uh, you know, to, to anyone. But, you know, if you look at even like our relationship with our children, especially, you know, when they're very young, where we say, I, I know something about the world that you don't know. And if you would just surrender to the knowledge that I have, um, and instead of doing it, you know, the hard way, I could make this easier for you. And so surrender, it's one of the most difficult things to do. Um, and I think it's, it's something that you can only do when you do feel that you're in alignment with a teacher who truly has something to offer to you that you yourself don't have the vision for, but it's the most rewarding thing to do. And in the reward is just all of the obstacles that would have been in front of you in this process of surrendering, you know, to, um, a true spiritual teacher. And again, I think this is a real um, important point is it has to be somebody that you truly have experienced as someone who has a vision far beyond yours, but you just stop, you, you stop avoiding all of these obstacles that were laid out in front of you that you would have just banged your head on. And it's been one of the most beautiful journeys is understanding that there is a cosmic intelligence that is, you know, initially feels that is greater than yourself, but is actually within yourself. So even when I talk about surrender, what I have found in the process of surrender is what I thought I was surrendering to, you know, to somebody outside of me, I later found out that I'm actually just surrendering to the cosmic intelligence that's within me. And so in that process of what was surrender in the beginning, I realized was just an alignment to myself but to a higher aspect of myself that is actually connected to everything else. So, you know, even when we say surrender, you go, who are you surrendering to? I was eventually, <laughs> right. I was eventually surrendering to just a better version of me. <laughs> well, I wonder too, if just all the years of meditation and, and mantras and everything that you've been doing with sound medicine has allowed you to, to make that realization because for most people, I, I can't even imagine anyone really surrendering without doing the work that you've been doing for so long. That's a very good point. And I, I, I do think that that's, that's important that, you know, you first put the effort into um, connecting with yourself because surrender doesn't mean doing something that's out of alignment with yourself. Surrender is really doing something that's in alignment with, uh, you know, as I mentioned, the higher aspect of yourself. And I think people call that different things nowadays. Some people call it, you know, the soul. Some people call it uh, nature. Some people call it divine. Some people call it, you know, your source. And so we have different vocabulary for it. Um, but you should first, you know, make the efforts to connecting with whatever that higher part of yourself is, because then in the process of surrender, it's, it's a joyful experience. It's not experience of, of lack or doing something that feels out of alignment. It's actually 
it, well, it's, it's, it's creating a resonance with the deepest part of yourself. And with that becomes so much freedom because what we're really doing right now is we're oftentimes surrendering to other people's opinions and we're out of alignment what's actually right for us. Or we're surrendering to fears or, you know, uh, political programs or social programs and we become out of alignment with ourselves. Well, my experience with surrender has uh, come when I did a vision fast. I did this over the summertime. I, I fasted out in nature for four days and it was probably the closest thing to surrendering that I've done in my life because all I had with me was water and oh, wow. shelter and that was it. And when you don't have food on board, f preparing food takes up so much time of your day, right? You <laughs> so don't really true. realize that. And then when you're not <laughs> eating food, you have all this other time to think and just be present with your body. And so, right. um, you know, I've fortunately had that experience, but you know, like I said before, it, it, it's such a hard thing for people to surrender to well, many different things to surrender. I wanted to end here with a quote that I could read from your book. Cause it's really tying up what we talked about here. Uh, it's on page 17. It says, there is a place within me that is also outside of me where I am simultaneously my individual self and also selfless at large and united with all the universe. I love that. That was, <laughs> that was so beautiful. Cause that just really encompasses, I think your entire book. It's, Thank it's, you. it's just telling me the journey that you've gone through and all the work that you're doing and helping all, all these people out there. So, and I think for most people, when, um, you know, when you get to that point of actually experiencing the oneness of life, you, you get to um, a point where you're starting to live then those, you know, fundamental precepts of every spiritual practice, which is like, you know, treat others as you would want to be treated yourself, do no harm. And it's, it's hard to do that until you start to have the experiences of realizing um, that which is outside is actually inside and that which is inside is actually outside. And, and mantra meditation for me was the route to which I was able to connect to that universal feeling. Oh, I love it. Well, let's leave our listeners with some takeaways from your book, Sound Medicine. What would you like to leave our listeners with? I think one of the most important points I'd like to make is that sound is actually a very powerful technology. And, um, you know, we're, we're using it indeliberately and you can actually use it deliberately to improve your mind and your body. And that our biology, it, the basis of our biology is actually sound. And so if you don't understand how to use this, um, you're just, you're working too hard in life to be successful and happy and healthy. And it's such a simple way of bettering yourself on a daily basis. That's great. Well, for our listeners, this is Dr. Cole Reed Chaudhary and her new book, which I recommend everyone read, is called Sound Medicine, How to Use the Ancient Science of Sound to Heal the Body and Mind. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show today. It has been my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Before we wrap up this episode of Be Healthistic, I wanted to share today's wellness wisdom, which is relevant to Dr. Chaudhary's fascinating research on sound medicine. Since we always encourage our listeners to be proactive in maintaining their own health, we wanted to send you off with a few easy practices from Dr. Chaudhary's book that you can incorporate into your own daily routine to harness the healing power of sound. According to Dr. Chaudhary, the easiest and most widely practiced form of sound medicine today is mantra meditation, which she mentioned during her discussion today. In this practice, a primal sound or a phrase with meaning is repeated either silently or out loud. 
Mantras are present in different civilizations around the globe and are part of the medical heritage of many ancient cultures, several of which have preserved this practice into the modern age, like in India. Those familiar with yoga might recognize how mantras at the start and end of a class can have a calming and centering effect. According to Dr. Chaudhary, there is a science behind these mantras. Mantras are sounds from nature and they carry a specific frequency that connects us to the natural world. They quiet our noisy mind by reconnecting us to the frequency of nature. And when we are exposed to these special sounds, they create a resonance that shifts our biochemistry. This creates greater balance in the mind and body because nature, when untouched by human involvement, knows how to create a state of natural homeostasis. With mantras, we are using the same intelligence within nature to bring our internal environment in the body and mind back into balance. Amazing stuff. Another sound medicine practice that Dr. Chaudhary suggests is the use of sound baths, which can be created at home using music that carries a resonance with natural frequencies, such as singing bowls, gongs, and bells. She says there are many options available now to create a sound bath experience at home, so it can be easily integrated into your day-to-day life. So give it a try. Remember everyone, if you liked what you heard today and you want to be an active member of the Be Healthistic community, subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your favorites. And subscribe to the Healthy Directions YouTube channel. You can also find more great content and information from us and the Healthy Directions team at HealthyDirections.com. I'm Dr. Drew Sinatra, and this is Be Healthistic. Thanks for listening to Be Healthistic, powered by our friends at Healthy Directions, with Drs. Drew and Steve Sinatra. See you next time.